Uh, everyone, welcome to the first in a series of seminars that's organized by the Post New York Alliance. Uh, my name is Peter Cioni, and I just wanted to briefly introduce myself before we move on to Ben and the panelists. I'm one of the owners of White Iron, and we are a facility that provides mobile post-production solutions as well as uh, uh, offline editorial services and finishing and mastering services for commercials, episodic television, and feature film. Uh, we're new to the New York market, but we're not new to post-production. Uh, my brother Michael and I started Light Iron back in 2009. We moved to New York in 2013, and no small part to Yana and her team with the uh, post-production tax credit. So thank you very much for uh, your lobbying efforts. You know, we're all benefiting from your very, your very hard work. I'm sure for many of you, this is the first time you've ever been to Light Iron New York, so after the panel's over, I encourage you to walk around the facility, go into the room, see what Light Iron is all about. In addition, uh, there are many members of my team that are here wearing these sexy black shirts. Uh, please uh, speak to them, learn more about the services we provide, uh, the philosophies that we may have, and um, just hopefully you can get a better sense of Light Iron. Um, when we first heard about this panel, we got really excited because assistant editors and digital imaging technicians are very near and dear to our hearts at Light Iron. Um, we spend a very significant part of our business building hardware, building software, and designing workflows specifically to enhance the collaboration between the set and everyone downstream, so assistant editors, for example. And, um, you know, if, if every creative spoke the same exact language, and if we all were on the same page regarding execution, and the delegation of responsibilities was made super clear, then uh, the, the delivery from set to post and on to final delivery would be incredibly efficient. So I think it's events like this that help keep the dialogue open and ensure that there's a much more holistic view of the creative process and how each of us kind of collaborate towards uh, making movies and television shows. Um, I want to thank Ben for uh, organizing this event and the education group with the Post and Work Alliance, and thanks to the panelists for joining us tonight. You guys have great insight, great perspective, and I think it's going to be a really awesome dialogue. So thank you again for coming. Really appreciate having you here at Light Iron, and with that, pass it on to Ben Baker. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, as Peter said, this is the first of a series uh, of uh, seminars that the Post New York Alliance is going to undertake this year. Uh, myself and the Education Committee are happy that this is the first. Um, Light Iron's been a great uh, sponsor of the event and been very helpful in setting it up. Uh, this will be recorded, so uh, by being here you give your consent to being uh, in a room being recorded. Some housekeeping first of all. Um, the Post New York Alliance is on Twitter, at PostNY. So feel free to tweet during this event. Um, <laughs> comments, um, anything you like. If you want to take our photos, um, uh, go right ahead. So that's at Post New at Post NY. We're also on Facebook. You can search for us, uh, the Post New York Alliance. So um, this panel, um, I um, was talking to the board of um, the alliance and said that I wanted to have a panel which is less about the intricacies of resolutions in workflow and more about general communication and looking at how. Um, a camera department and an editorial department can come closer together. So that's the basis on which we'll be discussing. So you, I didn't want to get into, there are plenty of forums for intricate workflow uh, conversations about resolution and about 
latitude and that's not this conversation. I would, I would like to, uh, and we've all talked and I'd like to really look at roles and communication and, um, and ways in which we can streamline that process because in the end, we're all humans working together on a piece of art. And uh, that's uh, how I'd like to base this discussion. So without further ado, really, um, I'd like to introduce our panel. Um, we have Adrian Venzil, who was the uh, editorial assistant on NOAA. Ryan Heidi, who is the, is the DIT on the TV series Blue Bloods. Jordan Maltby, who has been an editorial assistant on Beautiful Creatures and Rob the Mob, but also is rather interesting because he's a member of the local 600 and the 700. And um, Jordan will talk about being having roles on both sides of uh, that fence. And then we have Paul Moore, who's the um, Eastern Executive Director of MPEG, the Motion Picture Editors Guild. So um, without further ado, I'd like to start with uh, Adrian, really. Adrian, you were working on NOAA for a long time. It was a big show and a big shoot. Um, <laughs> it's two years of my life, that's gone, yes. Um, before we start on that, I mean, when you and I met, we talked about the many formats that you've dealt with in the, the recent part of your career. Do you want to start there? I mean... So NOAA was a 35 show. Um, <clears throat> And it's my first 35 show in about 10 years, like eight years maybe. I've done Genesis, um, done Sony shows, so the Sony F, whatever the camera is, Electra shows. Um, and what I've just found is it's kind of interesting doing this 35 show again after all these years. Is like every show that I've done digitally is a different workflow. Nothing is standard. There's always oh, this happened in, in t technology, are we going to do this? Or this happened in technology, and then we're going to do this. And then I did Noah, which is like 35, and it's like, well, we shot, it's going to a bath, you'll have your dailies tomorrow. No questions asked, that's it. Like, there's a scratch in there, sorry. That's, that, it happens, you know. So that was kind of interesting. Who were the key... I mean, so there, there was a small portion of that shot on digital, we though, wasn't shot, there? Um, uh, some of our VFX background plates on Alexa and our helicopter footage was all Alexa. So what is the kind of communication? I mean, you're working with Andy, great editor. What is the communication between you and him? And then back to all those different... I mean, there were sometimes up to four different units shooting, weren't there? Yeah. Um, Andy is like... Uh, and he's amazing. He, he knows his shit incredibly so there's no kind of like oh you can't have this now because blah, blah. he just wants everything now and he wants everything <laughs> and he wants it immediately <laughs> um so that's that's always the hard part of trying to manage all these different facets and like part of my the biggest part of my job during production i would say is more like schedule management it's like okay we're shooting in iceland and the lab's going to take X amount of hours to get the stuff and it's flying out and then it's going to get a spirit back and then you'll get it that time. So it's mostly just making up a, a, a realistic expectation of when stuff will arrive. Just helps everybody, um, editorially and for the director and for everybody. If you can just manage that with everything that goes along, then you know that's half the battle won. And so for the th if something goes wrong on a 35mm shoot, who are you talking to? in the camera crew, and is that different <coughs> to a digital shoot? Yeah, I mean, um, 35, my communication, I think I phoned the loader twice. 
Um, and her response was, it's in the script reports, like it's in the dailies reports. Yeah. I mean, in 35, there's a definite paper, paperwork production workflow of how stuff gets notarized and how it gets, how the lab lets you know and the lab, the, the lab reports and everything, um, which is nice and very, it's just, everything is just there. There's no idiot questions. Um, with the digital show, uh, my first point of contact is the DIT. Um, just because that's the point of origin when it leaves set and goes to the lab or dailies processing or anything like that. Um, and my, um, I kind of like see the role as a DIT besides the whole te technical part of it is just like my anchor into the world of set because I'm stuck in an air-conditioned room and they're sweating outside, which sucks. <laughs> so... <laughs> when you go from, I mean, you shot 35 mil for what, 70 days, and then right at the end, you're doing this plate yeah, shoot on yeah. digital. So, what is, how do you conform that digital shoot into That's what you've been That's a whole different team. It's a whole different team. Yeah. It's a whole different camera team. It's a whole different crew. It's like a whole different setup. It's like doing like a little mini movie inside a movie. And are you prescribing to them like. I worked with a production team that. Um, not up to speed with digital at all. Right. So between them and the camera team they hired um, and myself, we kind of like set up the rules and it was like, okay, this is how it needs to work. You need to get this and this and this and you guys need to figure out about hard drives and hard drive speeds and transfer speeds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, there, there's a lot of prep going into shooting digital that I don't think people people realize. So when they contracted that digital, they, they were all in Iceland, you never met them? Uh, no, it was, it was, we had a bunch of local camera people fly to Iceland. Oh, they went to Iceland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, okay. So, they didn't... Yeah, so we, we had like uh, half Iceland crew, half New York crew, American crew. Gotcha. So there was a definite handshake between the two. And were they then shooting negative out in Iceland as well or only digital? Out in Iceland. They were shooting neg out in Iceland and flying it back. Flying it back to be processed in New York. And then you said um, that you you had people close to you though who were could grade and regrade. How did that work? Uh, we had so we did. A, this is not the way to do a digital show. <laughs> Let me just start by saying that we uh, because it was um, the VFX plate footage, so it wasn't footage that was actually going to be used as footage. It was just going to be elements that the VFX house is going to use. We decided to have it processed for the Avid locally in New York, but then, and then bad backups made, and then these backups went to the VFX house. And they were responsible for the debearing and the integration into all the elements. So although we had an Avid copy of it, um, it wasn't that we were responsible for dealing with the footage after offline. That was all the VFX hours, ILM. They did the debearing and even although we had different vendors working on the footage, um, it was just very important for us that one house dealt with the debearing and sending out the elements and making sure it's in the right format. Just because if you get into like different people dealing with the same footage, it's, it's never the same. Yeah. And There's so did your way. visual effects editor, and do you have <laughs> to manage that process through a visual effects editor? How does that some of it, like it, it was literally like, oh, we need a little rainbow 
So they would shoot like four hours of rainbows and we would just go to the VFX house was like, you pick. It just, it just needs to have colors. We're not going to go through footage, forget it. Um, and some of it was literally like we, we would select, okay, this take for this shot, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, so there was a handshake and that process we, we dealt through the VFX editor, Kev Blocker. And what was the biggest difference in your job in dealing with a lab for yeah. dailies from film and then having to deal with digital dailies? Because <coughs> um, I guess the lab is taking funny. care of a lot of it for you. It's funny, like, the digital dailies in, in some aspects can be really frustrating after doing a 35 show. Yeah. Just because 35, that's, there's your clockwork. You know, it arrives, the neg, this is the cut of time. Which is, if it's not there, then tomorrow or the day back or whatever. Um, but I got frustrated just by stupid stuff like transfer speed of drives. Like it's literally going to take them X amount of hours to just copy the footage before they can even start coloring the footage. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that really gets you down because, and I know we sp spoke about this earlier, that people's expectation of digital is very immediate. You know, it's shot, and why can't I just have it on my iPad? You know, just give it to me immediately. Um, and it's just getting, getting into the mindset and, again, building expectations that there is a process behind it. Um, don't just expect it to be there immediately. And then, so, to finish that film, were there any hiccups about it being a mixed-format show? Was that difficult, or you can't? I mean, I guess that's all visual effects elements, really. It was all visual effects elements. We had a couple of, I think we had a couple of um, 5D shots in there, scattered right. around. Um, There's always someone who pulls a 5D out of the back of their car. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> you know, yeah. just do this. Yeah. Easy. Um, no, I think our DA house was Technicolor, um, and they were up to speed throughout the whole shooting process. They they did our dailies as well, um, part of well the the, the th thirty five part. Um, so it was kind of I think it was part we let them know that stuff was coming down the pipe that was mixed format, so they were prepared for it. Yeah. Um, but the mixed format thing in the DI wasn't a big issue at all. I think it was all kind of sorted out by then. Great. Thanks, Ryan. I might. Uh so you've been on Blue Bloods now for three long years. Three long years. <laughs> Ryan was just saying before he's been on holiday, uh, on hiatus, and goes back into it. Uh, so I mean, you're shooting 22 episodes a year. Nine and a half months. Nine and a half months of shooting um, through the winter. Yeah, right. <laughs> With Tom Selleck. Yep. So. As you've been on, were you on for the first season, or you came I on for the? I wasn't on the first season. No, I, did, I came on the second. The first season they shot with the red camera, uh -huh. um, completely used the lab for everything, and I came on the second season when they switched to Alexa. It's interesting when we spoke that every year it's kind of moved closer to you, hasn't it? Do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, for yeah, every when season? I, when I first came on the show, it was a very weird situation. It was. We're switching to the Alexa because we hear it's a better camera, but we want the same exact workflow. Right. As all of you might know, you know, you build a workflow from the camera head down, not the other way around. So that was a challenge right away coming into a room, being told that and not being able to really say, no, you can't do that because then I wouldn't have had the job. So um, that was interesting. <laughs> so at, at a, originally we did that as much as possible. We had problems throughout the season and the DPs were not happy at the end of the season. So the next season we explored doing 
uh, our dailies in-house, but it wasn't really ready yet for a nine-month television show at the time, in everybody's opinion. In my opinion, it was, but, um, you know, I got shot down the first time we tried it, and but we decided to go CDL only, which I won't get too technical. It's a different format, eliminating some of the math and a lot, and that seemed to get us better results. Um, and that gave me a little bit more, and the DPs, a little bit more of a leg to stand on so that when the fourth season came, my third season on the job, we were able to convince them to bring the dailies completely in-house. Uh, we use what's called the mobile lab. It's very similar to Light Iron's Outpost, but it comes from Deluxe. Um, that was kind of the mandate from CBS. Deluxe is our vendor. We had to use their gear. Um, but, um, but it works great. You know, we do our dailies in-house now. It, it's fast, it's cheaper, but the most important part is that our dailies look like our monitors do every day without any fluctuation. There's never any problem with our workflow and the dailies are in our avids 12 hours faster than when we were using a lab. TV is a very different beast because, I mean, shooting 22 episodes, you, you're breaking into four blocks, is it? That, so you have different DPs we every... We have two DPs, they alternate episodes. Right. So does everyone get in a room at the head of the season and both DPs agree on how they're working? Hopefully. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yes. But, I mean, you have to be the connective tissue across exactly. all that. And how do you... So does the show set a show style that all the both DPs have to adhere to? Like, um, well, the crew is the same, obviously, right. and the operators are the same. So we know the look of the show. You know, they've communicated to us everything they like, everything they want. So we're able to predict it between, you know, mesh that with their two different styles because they are slightly different as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's the crew that kind of keeps that consistency between. DPs and directors. And then what contact do you have with the editorial room behind dailies? Um, not a lot daily, but that's due to the just perfectness of our workflow, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, but in the beginning, it, it is, you know, the DIT is, a, is the bridge between, you said that so well, it's a bridge between post and set. It's like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm getting the DPs, that the footage looks the way my DP wants it to look but I also want to make sure that my post department has everything they need for AVIDs, for archival, whatever it may be. So, um, so it's very, in my, in my uh, opinion, that, that that's the most important part of the DIT job is being that go-between between post and I mean, The other interesting thing about TV is that you're finishing episodes as you're shooting. Oh, yeah. Right. What is the, what's the time difference between shooting, you know, first day and then them having masters or on television. What are your, what's your lag? Throughout the season, it's about a month, but I think right before the end of the season, we have to do tandem units to catch up. There's a trend going on in New York where you see a lot of TV shows shooting without DITs, and I think, you know, they're more necessary in TV almost than features because of the fact that things are moving so quickly and you sometimes have multiple units and all this stuff, and there's so much footage and so much on it that has to be, you know, archived and processed. Any CIT that comes in on a tandem unit or anything like that, I give them the specs of the job, make sure that in prep the cameras are set up the same way our main unit cameras are, and then, you know, usually that footage is sent back to me and I archive it on set as well as send it off to the daily. So project. you're doing the archive as well? I, we, do, we, we do our archive in triplicate. We have, our, we have our, our footage archived at Deluxe, we have our footage archived on our dailies cart in the post-production office, and on my cart on set. 
Oh, right, okay. So you're making archives as you go. Yeah. Yeah, right. You're busy <laughs> during that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do all downloading and color correction and everything. It's like, you know, I, I know certain DP, DITs that divide those duties. I think that now the technology, is, especially in like an Alexa S by S world, the technology has gotten to the point where you can download and color correct and do that all right at the same cart. So in between seasons when there's the evolution of the workflow every year, I mean, how is that mediated? Do you come in is it with the editorial? What, what does the network have to say? No, like, how is that all? On Blue Blood specifically, it's been something that's been initiated by me and the DP. It was Paramount very prescriptive about the way it went? It's 35. I don't think they know how to deal with 35 anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they literally stopped releasing 35. They fired so. everyone, right? So. Yeah, 35, go for it. Yeah, right. Um, Thanks, Ryan. So they were kind of back uh, I might bring Jordan into this now. Um, Jordan, you're a member of both the 600 and the 700, yes. um, and um, make a very good veggie omelet too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you were saying, uh, I mean, on a film that come that's coming up, you are going to be the DIT and the editorial assistant. True. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that and about how that's evolved for you? Uh, yeah, I've always uh, wanted to work in editorial and be an editor, um, and I just got off the show last five years, uh, which cut here. Um, and I moved on to uh, Tusk, which was a film that Kevin Smith was directing. And he, um, he wanted to cut in his trailer, uh, literally during lighting changes. He would just go like, all right, you need 20 minutes, all right, I'll go cut. So the dailies needed to turn around very, very fast, and I was hired as his assistant editor, and we were working with LightIron again. So we had one of their outpost carts, and uh, they charged me with using uh, that cart to do the dailies, and that was the first time I'd done that. So I thought, hey, this is cool. I control the pipeline. Uh, and we got to a point where, um, actually it didn't get to a point, it happened on day one. They'd shoot a half day, um, and I would have it uh, graded, synced, triplicated, archived on iPads with graded and synced material in the Avid, grouped, and in Kevin's laptop about half an hour after lunch break. Wow. So I'd start that process at lunch break, and about an hour and a half later, it was in his Avid ready to go. And he was a little bit sort of dumbfounded by the fact that that was possible, um, which really meant the rest of the day I could just work for him, which is really what I want to do. I wanted to cut, and I wanted to you know, be a part of that process. Um, so you know, he'd say, you know, Jordan, why don't you uh, go ahead and... You know, fill in the soundscape for this scene. Why don't you go ahead and you know do a pass at this? You know, go ahead. Uh, and because uh, I came from uh, visual effects world too, uh, I was doing you know visual effects pre-comps in, in Nuke, and I was delivering some visual effects pre-comps to uh, the art department that would go on live projectors and stuff. And I had all this time to do that, and I thought it was really cool just controlling that whole process and uh, just how easy and simple it was. And I actually found completely ironically that the more responsibilities I took on, the more free time I had. <laughs> uh, this was, you know, kind of nutso. Because on, on the last five years, uh, which was, you know, it was, it was, uh, we, we used uh, light iron as well, but we, we uh, had a, an onset DIT. Everything was, you know, very smooth. Everything, the way the, way the system works, I'm sure it's uh, the same with the deluxe system, I don't know. But when it goes into the Avid, you're delivered bins that already are pre-populated with metadata. It's already synced, it's already graded. Um, and so the second it hits the Avid, you just, you're ready to go. 
Uh, and that was really great. But, you know, every once in a while, it wasn't very common, but every once in a while there was like some small issue like, hey, did you really mean that to be that dark? Or, you know, um, hey, I think, you know, I, I see something on the camera report that's not here. Like, what's going on? And now, you know, now you got to call up production. You got to track someone down and say like, hey, what was going on here? Oh, wait, all right, I'll wait for the break. Oh, okay, let, you know, he'll go and talk to this person and see if that, you know, jives with scripty. And, you know, on, on Tusk, I was right there, so... Uh, there was one point of failure, and it was me. Uh, and so if there was ever a problem, I'd fix it within 10 minutes and then go back to work. Um, or I would just walk over to the DP and say, hey, what's going on here? What was this? Um, did you really mean to do that? And you know, So everything was fairly streamlined. So I got kind of a addicted to that, because as an assistant editor and editor, I want to contribute to that creative process. And um, uh, then on... Uh, the next film I worked on, which was Sound and, Sound and Fury, which was a very tough process, because he never cuts the camera, ever. Um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get one take that's like three minutes, pan around to the crew, 15 minutes of footage later, okay, we're ready for take two. <laughs> so, it's a real, real pain in the butt. And, um, and they had a loader on set who was doing finder copies. No, no, no checks some finder copies. So I was... I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea. Like, what am I getting myself into? This is a problem. Um, but I was hired to to come in when they did this eight-day pickup. Um, oh, sorry, uh, eight-week pickup. And um, they had hired me for three weeks of editorial prep. Because uh, the last assistant editor that they worked with on the uh, principal photography, it took them about a month and a half to get things into Final Cut 7 <laughs> ready to go. Because, uh, you know, he's using Compressor to do all of his transcodes, you know, like, he's uh, using Final Cut to do all of his syncing and, and whatever. And, uh, I, you know, I, after doing Tusk, I kind of went, like, give me one day with an, with an outpost card. I'm just like, let me go over to LightIron, I'll bring the footage, give me one day. Six hours later, I was done processing eight weeks of footage. Um, and 36 hours later of rendering, uh, it was you know in the system ready to go. And then yet again, I could spend the next three weeks working with the editor and actually contributing, and he could use me and have me assembling stuff for him and shooting stuff off and say, hey, what do you think of this? And that's the whole reason I want to do this. So I, I like having that kind of control. I like having a single point of failure because I know if it sucks, it's my fault. And I, I hope I don't suck, so that's good. Um, and uh, so I decided I, I think I want to do this from a from an onset point of view because the the union distinction between a, what an AE can do and what a DIT can do largely has to do with where you're doing it. If you're on set, if you're at the point of capture, you are a DIT no matter what. If there's if if color management or if look management is involved, um, you can do virtually the exact same thing in the cutting room. You probably need a 600 loader on set to supplement that if you really wanted to go that bare bones. Although, as my colleague said, that's highly unrecommended. I'd always recommended DIT. Um, but you could do that. Um, and it's, and uh, uh, well, like on Blue Bloods, we have two DITs. Me right. and our dailies operator both get paid DIT rates. We're still cheaper than lab dailies. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's like. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a it's very worthwhile because like also like um, I'm sorry dude I forgot your name Ryan Ryan <laughs> <laughs> it's 
<laughs> like, like what Ryan said, uh, you could think a lot of times before the ideas, you sort of thought of like editorial as like the bucket. You just kind of, Michael says that all the time. Everything, everything from production just kind of gets thrown into the editorial bucket. Now, here it is, you know, here's the report, here's this, throw it into the editorial bucket. Uh, and the DIT sort of became that on set bucket, I think. Uh, and so the, the pipe between the DIT and the AE actually is now a pipe. Mm -hmm. It's now a single point of communication and collaboration instead of, here's a bunch of stuff, you deal with it. And, and figure it out. Uh, so Jordan, then you become really, in being on both sides of that, you become the conduit between the DP and the editor, really. Uh, yeah. I mean, and surely both of those people, I mean, do you just rock up to a production and go, I'll do it both? Or no, they I, have to really know no, how that's going to work, Actually, right? I, I don't know how it happened, but I've sort of gotten some sort of <laughs> reputation to be some sort of a workflow specialist, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I'm a, a, a nerd. Um, but uh, production started calling me before production started and said, hey, let's talk about post, which is like, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, finally we can do it right. This is great. <laughs> Thank God. Um, so, um, yeah, for, for, for Ithaca, for example, uh, Meg is working, uh, 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 doing her directorial debut and, um, um, so the, uh, I've worked with the exchange, the same company, exchange, did Rob the Mob, did um, last five years. So they, they contacted me about it because we worked with... The exchange is a financier and international distributor. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so they contacted me and said, hey, you know, we want to kind of do the same thing. You know, we like that whole, we liked you, you know, we like what you did with Light Iron. And it's interesting that they're getting involved in the yeah. crewing, really, right? Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of refreshing because we got talking about workflow four months before the show happened. We locked off our entire post pipeline. We, you know, everything uh, well before the show happened and we were able to make those, uh, those choices, those decisions. And so are you talking to the Bond company as well then? Am I personally? Yeah. No. Um, I sort of say, this is what I think we should do and then they clear it and deal with that. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's also like, you know, not terribly complicated. It's the same sort of, it's more or less the same thing you do on every show to an extent. Um, so... Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, I, I joined 600 as a DIT and said, okay, great. Well, now I can do this at the point of capture. And um, the 600 and 700 made a really, I think, good collaborative deal uh, where DITs are allowed to do a, a certain amount of editorial prep work at the, at the point of capture, which, you know, like we were talking about before, <laughs> you know, lets, when it gets to editorial, lets you be more productive and more, more useful. So, um, yeah, maybe I'm just a control freak. <laughs> I wanted to, I want, that's just it. I wanted to be on set to control the pipe and work with the DP because the second you're in that zone, you're also in a, in, in a creative field. You're actually now communicating about, about the look. You're communicating about you know, what, what their intention is and stuff. You're in part of that conversation. And then luckily enough, there was a, there's going to be a, a weak gap between production and post. If they were overlapping, I couldn't do both jobs. Um, you know, if we were starting editorial on the first day of production, I couldn't do that. One man, one job. But we, there happens to be a gap, so I was able to, to do both. Um, which great, because all that communication from set, I'm now knowledgeable about, and I can take it all the way through the post pipeline. And every time the editor has a question, or the director has a question, I was like, yeah, I was there when you shot it. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Sound calls me up. I know exactly what the thought was behind that, that choice. Um, so, sorry, I'm just, I'm just power. <coughs> Go for it. It's very important to have somebody um, prep, shoot, post delivery. Mm. 
you need somebody all the way through. Um, uh, we had a we had somebody who called himself a post-production producer. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he he he's basically his basic whole thing was color, like, and camera, because you need somebody on any kind of digital show to follow that thread yeah. all the way through. It Just is very because it's it's so every workflow is so unique. It There's is sort of a compartmentalized mentality sometimes. Like I, I'll come in and do my job, and then you'll yeah. come in and do your job. And I talked with the first AC on one show that was actually kind of like. Um, you know, we kind of resent AEs because, you know, we do our camera reports and whatever, and then we're always getting called and whatever. I'm like, yeah, well, you live with this for four weeks. I live with it for nine months, yeah. you know? Exactly. It was also when each part of the workflow was its own walled garden with its own rules, right. and you just threw it over the fence, yeah. and then someone got these 35 mil reels. That's why a 35 mil pipeline is really easy, because everyone just kind of knows how to do it. Although neg cutters have all died out. They don't exist anymore. Oh, what do we do? Oh, right. I guess we, yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a problem. At this point, look, I might bring Paul into this conversation now. Um, Paul, as um, someone at MPEG, um, I mean, I guess my first question to you is how how do you keep up in a, in a union sense? How do you keep up with the rapidly changing technology? I mean, all of the discussion we've had so far is just about how these roles really swing and change depending on the job and depending on how does the, how does the union kind of negotiate uh, around this? I think the short answer is we stumble along a bit because the, the, each job is different, as, as we've heard. And um, in-house training, uh, it's taught actually by members, for members, because if someone's coming off a job, they can bring that workflow experience to, if you will, the classroom, to the seminar. So we find that immediacy to be valuable. But as we've heard, you know, different workflows uh, and job-to-job-to-job uh, -to -job -to -job is continuing to evolve. Yeah. Um, I would agree with most everything Jordan said about the collaboration uh, between Cinematographers Guild, Local 600, and, and Local 700 Editors Guild, uh, and even more so in the last eight or nine months because of the... Uh, the demand for and the immediacy of, uh, of producers, studios, financiers wanting that metadata, wanting that iPad uh, of today's dailies three hours ago. So um, we do we do have a training coordinator in New York, uh, and uh, we offer typically Saturday uh, classes, uh, and then in our West Coast office we have a full-time training coordinator who does go to NIB, NAB and, and follows and drills down to all the technology that's available at that moment or the new version of Avid or whatever you know, whatever it is uh, on the sound side. A, a couple of years ago I was in, in, in Wilmington and, and it was Iron Man 3 and I, I happened to know the DP and, and John said, well, we just, we just cut out e-film, you know, from the two DITs right to editorial, right there. Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> there's the pipeline. Yeah. Right. And don't ask me about technology because I've spent the last five years with Yana in Albany lobbying for this industry. But 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 instead of people to company people to people. To people yeah. But you're, the immediacy of coming off the set on the golf course, mm. back to the cutting room at 7 a.m. ready to go, mm. um, and, and especially at, at that. 
I mean, it begs the question, I mean, post the role of the post-production supervisor really came out of editorial because the, the editor and the editorial assistant were really responsible for setting the tone for the post-production. Then, you know, electronic capture, film scanning became more complex, required different knowledge. That's where the post-supervisor came out. Is there a need for a, another role? I mean, should the post-supervisor starting in pre-production as Jordan was saying I mean yeah definitely I mean it, it's almost a workflow I, I, I don't know about like I've, I've worked at Fox for a while um, what they have is an in-house dailies person and his job is just to set up the that's Will Plucky yeah yeah so Will just does dailies workflows around the world like you know whatever new technology whatever camera they're shooting is he just does the dailies workflow and how they've got it set up which is studio as opposed to indie um, Will Plucky is in the in the in the office with all the post supervisors so although we're dealing with daily's workflows, post providers are completely aware about what's going on every step of the way. So that when it comes to personal, it comes to cleaning up production bullshit. They know what's going on. I mean, I asked before about the bond insurers because on um, the film I'm supervising at the moment, I, I'm, I'm the post supervisor, but really had to present the plan in pre-production to the bond insurance people on how it was going to be finished. And that's fantastic that they're starting to take that look up front you know, yeah. with you know, what, what, uh, what the art department was going through a few years ago in that same transition of getting, uh, getting that conversation going ahead. And I mean, I did that largely not because they were offering me so much more money to do that, but because I knew if I didn't, then I'd walk into post-production supervision on day one of post and <laughs> have to deal with any and, disaster that's happened before. And we do get those calls. You know, the, the post-super will, will, will call the office and Jen Madar, my field rep, is here as well. Jen, say hi. And um, the, the post-super will call typically Jennifer and say, hey, I got hired yesterday. And, yeah. what's, and they're not responsible for this. Uh, and what's the deal? And, and I think that's way too late. And that puts an undue burden on the assistant editor. And frankly, all the way you know, back on the set if it's episodic. You know, I can't even imagine doing that on episodic. But you know, sometimes crew and staffing change or you know, management changes. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't name the show, but it happened on one of our shows where the entire producing team was sort of swept out. And so a supervisor comes on you know, well after the fact, uh, you know, and they've got a season to deliver. Uh, but your comment about the bond company getting involved ahead of, uh, you know, ahead of day one of principal or even of, of any, you know, pre-vis or anything, I think is brilliant because it, the money they'll save on staffing, and, you know, I'm the union rep here, but on staffing, on budget, and on budget constraints beyond editorial, on, mm. on color, on the deliverable requirements, what have you. I think it's brilliant that they're starting to have that conversation. I mean, it's taken them a long while to, to I mean, I um, was in England and started in a DI facility and started sending a guy out with a true light box onto Genesis shoots. And this was in 2004, 2005, you know, and the, the Bond people didn't really have any concept of, you know, they were recording to tape then and we were encouraging them to make a second tape. And they were like, why do we need to be paying for this? You know, because they're, what it said in their bond contract was still talking about 35 mil being lodged under an agreement at a lab, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's taken them a little, and I'm glad that now the bond companies are, in, and I think we could all do with, you know, pressuring the bond companies to 
to insist that somebody, I mean, it's a matter of that responsibility. Who is ultimately responsible for setting up this pipeline? And, and for, for each case, I think it's kind of different. It, it's smart management, but it's also smart budgeting. And, and it really, you know, as far as staffing goes, all the way through the pipeline from pre-production through close, it's just smart. And, and it's, it's so valuable that uh, Ryan and Jordan are offered that opportunity up front. I think it's brilliant. And let's face it, there's only really two bond because of consolidation. Now there are only two companies that are bonding films. Now you know. Um, but, I, I think the idea of the discussion, if I can interrupt, yes, met, you know, with the studio or with the independent producer. Now you know, before we start. So, do you see post-production supervisors in your wheelhouse, really, at MPEG? No, uh, the studios we tried to we, we, <laughs> let me answer, we tried to <laughs> post supers came to the guild in I think 05 or 06 I'm a little sketchy on what year um, and the studios felt that uh, the supervised and we were only dealing with the major studios uh, but they felt that the post supers had proprietary information relevant to that project that studio and they did not agree with our position, so they would not recognize that it. That proprietary argument has gone away. I mean, no facility can now argue that they've got a proprietary anything that will keep a job there anymore, right? They try. They try, but I, I mean, I think that's all gone away now. Yeah. Well, because a lot of the products are off the shelf anyway. Yeah. You know. But that, that was 06, I think, maybe? Jen, do you remember? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But uh, we had proposals and the post supers uh, had meetings with guild management and we went to the studios and negotiations and it was a flat no. It's funny because post supervisors exist in one of those places that then I don't think they're covered by the PGA. Someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not really covered by the producers guild. They're not really, I mean, it's, it's a role kind of without a home. I mean, for, you know, you're, you've got Will at Fox and other entities on studios, but for, as you go into smaller and smaller shows, you know, the post supervisors, they're by themselves sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We did make the effort and, and it took about a year to get the answer. And, uh, unfortunate. <laughs> so I might um, throw it out now to our audience. Do people have some questions that they uh, want to ask? Susan. Well, as a follow-up to saying that it's good to have the conversation about the workflow before production starts, while you're in pre-production, but the, in New York, a lot of the films are independent, low-budget mm. films, and I find that they don't even hire the editorial staff. Yeah. Right. Before big, production. Big, big problem. And, and I don't know if this producer is here, but I just want to bring that up, that not only should there be a post-production supervisor involved in pre-production, but there should be an assistant editor involved, mm -hmm. even if you don't have your editor chosen. You get a first AE, a DP, and a DIT in a room for about mm -hmm. 20 minutes yeah. before the film starts. As long as they know what camera they're shooting on, that's an incredibly productive 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and these two, you know, Ryan and George, in, in their contracts, respective contracts, the 600 contract and the 700 contract, have a pre-production meeting clause so you're not paying for a full day. You go in for is that right? There is a hour call. There is a clause in there. And and it's been in there forever and no one utilizes it. It's such a good mm. dollar value yeah. to have that conversation. Mm. Any other questions? Yes, Tim. For, uh, Jordan. Um, like you said, you were a DIT and an A at the same time and you said it's just how so much not at the same time. Not at the same time. At the same time, but you know. One and then the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like want to. 
for someone like me, I, I'm just getting into becoming an assistant editor, and I want to learn more all, more about that, and all the technology and everything. I know it's best to get hands-on, but mm -hmm. what's, I mean, should I, after like, the job I'm on now, should I go and try to work on the, at the you know, as a dailies technician on a show for a little bit, you know, that's non-union, just to learn the programs, and just to learn everything, learn to work, you know, how to do everything, just so I can kind of... Um, get my hands on that? Well, I don't have a specific answer, but I will say this. Knowledge is power yeah, in this industry, absolutely. And, like, the DIT, while their primary job on paper is look management, they're really work tech guru. They have to know everything about everything. And to a certain extent, the first assistant editor becomes that for editorial. You are the epicenter of mm -hmm. how that communicates to every other department. If you don't have a working knowledge of how sound works, it's really hard to have that communication. If you don't have a working knowledge of you know, visual effects and what they kind of need and, and so on and so on, especially when you get to the DI. Uh, when you're talking about like, you know, matching back to the DI and making that process seamless, that really does have to start from production. So. Um, you Jordan, you had stuff, you have credits as a DP as well on some shorts as well. So you, <laughs> uh, yeah, th th those are and as a helicopter pilot on one film. Yeah, I, I might two, add. two films. <laughs> two films. Yeah. I, well, I, I, you know, I sit in a room in front of a computer for fourteen hours a day. A guy needs a hobby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's between golf and flying. Um, Sorry, I forget where. What oh, I, I just was made answering. the statement. You you had oh no, shot the th film. those those credits were from college. Um, right. In okay. fact, one of them was my student, and I've been lobbying IMDb to take it down. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, credited me as a DP? I went, ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it, he even went so far as to put a trailer for his movie up on IMDb. So that's a that's a problem. Um, no, I mean, I mean, I, I, I can light, I can frame. I mean, like to a certain extent, I would not call myself a, a DP. Um, right. But I mean, working knowledge, uh, I suppose you could say. Uh, I don't know if that answered that. Let me jump in here. Ask questions. Just, just where, like I am. I love going into meeting and asking the most stupid, obvious question they yeah. can be. Because yeah. people want to make sure that everybody understands. I hate. Conference calls because <laughs> yeah. nobody knows who the fuck's who, and everybody, somebody's on a speaker and you can't hear anything. But if you can be face you to face for an someone. hour to get nothing right. done, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just wherever you are, just ask questions. Like, and ask questions about lights and stuff. Like, I literally pulled out one of the uh, colorists in LA, the one band, I was like, dude, you need to tell me what the fuck a light is. Like, let's break it down. Like, Input, output, what the hell is all that stuff? Yeah. Jordan also makes a great point is that, like, you know, my favorite thing to do is color correct cameras, but that's not all I do. And, like, any DIT that comes into a job and says that's all I do, or LUTs, or CDLs, or whatever, you're not going to be around for it. Very long. The technology is becoming that if you're not willing to embrace it, every part of it, and be the tech guru of your crew. You know, whether you're the AE or a DIT, it's like, you know, they're not going to really think you're worth much very long. And actually, to more to the point of, like, things you can do to learn whatever, you will be so surprised how many of these companies offer free training. Mm -hmm. Lightiron does. We're sitting in one of them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, no, but, you know, I mean, I, I went to, to Cinegear and went, oh, what is this whole Codex Vault thing? Oh, that's really interesting. I've heard a lot about it, you know. And they're like, oh, they have a free training course tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll a show lot up. Of the, A lot of the manufacturers actually do offer, 
I mean, particularly in LA, of course, but I mean, in the, here now as well, um, they're offering training on their specific. Yeah. I, I think there was uh, something for Gemini just the other day on their recorder, you know. Yeah. Um, Codex does their mm -hmm. um, road yeah. shows every well, now and even then. Even the union stuff, like 600 oh, yeah. do a lot yeah, of training. I was doing those Saturday And yeah, I mean, you know, the way, I don't know if you're a 600 member, but those, I mean, if you're any union member, they'll let you go to 600 training. And even non-union people who are interested in becoming union members, they like come at their space. So. Yep. You know, stay up with the unions and see what their training. I mean, I was talking with Peter. I was, that's right. I, I was talking with Peter before. That there's an online. I mean, a lot iron office online. Um, an online course on their gear that you can do before coming in here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, look, I think every beginning editorial assistant doing a night shift and dailies for at least one job. I mean, it's it's pretty brutal. Like it's uh, it, it's pretty hardcore. Attention to detail for every line of every. Camera checking, camera reports, all that. It's not for the faint-hearted. You know, you will, you'll. Ab it'll absolutely help you with in editorial assisting. Um, absolutely, you know. So one one more thing while we're beating this horse to death. Um, <laughs> it was weird. We're not like very early on. I got this reputation for being this like tech workflow guru, and it was really because the red had just come out and everyone went oh god this is so complicated like no one knows how to do this it's oh it's just such a pain like oh god how do we do this and i was like okay i went on apple's website i downloaded the white paper and i read it <laughs> and went seems pretty straightforward to me and now suddenly everyone's like oh jordan he's a, he's a genius he's a genius like it's 20 minutes of work you know like don't be afraid to google and research and you know actually You'll be surprised how many people don't put in the time. Also, coming to the Post New York Alliance seminars. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. I think we had a question over here. Yana, yes. Yeah. Um, first, I just want to thank all of you. This has just been an incredibly riveting conversation, and thank you, Ben. Um, I just, I, I have a, a broad question that I'm, I'm going to really try to make uh, as concise as possible, but. Um, Part of what we're doing um, as the Post Alliance um, is we try to get this in a, in a lot of different ways. We try to put forward the message that, like was, has been said, Post needs to be part of the pre-production conversation. And we do this when we sit on panels at Sundance where we say, you can't afford not to call a visual effects supervisor before you start shooting. You're losing money. And you have each given great examples of how when you do that, like I, I run a post-production accounting company, so I'm just seeing dollars in my <laughs> mind as you've spoken. And, I, and it feels to me, and I also argue this, and this is, I'm getting to my question, if, you, if all of you or some of you want to comment on if you believe that this is the trend. Um, things becoming faster, more efficient, less expensive, um, and we, we just had this conversation in the governor's office the other day that is the trend going to be less um, a division between television and film and more broadly are we just is the future is the near future are we just going to be creating content oh, and this a is a very specific this very also specifically affects our tax credit, which we're, we're considering doing a technical amendment to like really quickly, because right now the limit on what is included as being qualified or eligible for the incentive, it has to be at least 30 minutes long. And we're thinking about 
yeah. tweaking that because we think that that's an old way of thinking and that do we need to be inclusive of this new trend in content creation. So before I go out and start messaging that, I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to say. Will we be in this television film model for much longer? Or? Well, I would, I would say that absolutely not. I mean, I, I kind of tell every producer that I work for it that what, what, what this technology represents, the really file-based cameras and all this digital technology represents, is the same thing that happened to the music business, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's no more record stores, you know, there's no, we don't listen to music the way we used to, as a complete, not just our culture, the yeah. whole globe, so the way you get your film and television is, I mean, if I didn't watch sports, I'd already cancel my cables. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the way you watch television is gonna be like, you know, or movies or any any of your content, it's gonna be like, you know, your email inbox on your iPad, and then you choose when you wanna deal with it and how you wanna, what size screen you wanna watch it on. That's the freedom that this technology represents. So it's very important. I've said this to local 600 members when they give us the web contracts and these TV contracts, and you know, it should all be the same because we're all creating content. And what all the, the golden age of television has proved that there can be just as great stuff on TV and Netflix than there can be in the movie theater. So it's going to be that way with webisodes. Well, you look yeah. at someone like Soderbergh who retired and then suddenly was on HBO and has now got the right. Nick coming out. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the high-value television is kind of almost overtaking features, you know. I think the, it is, yes. Yeah. I think the high-value, you know, the, the incredible A-list directors, producers, writers. Writers. Especially the writers are creating these amazing stories, these amazing, uh, this amazing content. And I, and I think you're right, Jan. I think we, we need to tweak the, the bill and the language. It's also repackaging the content as well, because I think that there may be models that aren't being... I mean, where you put the incentive is where things grow, really. You know, and there may be... Um, I mean, is that determined on the final product, then, the half-hour limit? Right. So some of the limits to the, quote, bleed right. of the $420 million a year allocation that we have are... It has to be scripted. In other words, reality and documentaries don't qualify. These were decisions that were made back in 2004. And you have to put these limitations yeah. on yeah. your incentive or you'll just be out of your 420 with three projects. So right. these are important, right? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's the final product. But what happens when you shoot for a 90 minutes, but then you actually package it in five or 15 minute chunks, no, you know? 30. It has to be, the limit is, it has to be at least a 30 minute episode. That's the smallest. Thing. But then you're right. We've got to we've got to look at that. That's what I, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're Definitely. all saying the same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, what uh, what we're not going to do, I think, in Albany is anything on reppackaging because it's really not new business in the eyes of the politicians. Yeah. This is right. new, this is new business. Don't. This infrastructure here, what you guys did, what Peter and, and and you all did, this is new business, new infrastructure. They love this. Repackaging old content never. Gonna, yeah. It's not going to happen with this administration. Or yeah. With that. yeah group of cast of characters and but I think there'd be models that aren't being explored yet on something like like it's interesting for Hulu you know has ads in it I, I still watch it I watch their ghost town ghost series which is half hours but I wonder is it because there's not the incentive there that there aren't shorter you know um, maybe lower budget maybe more experimental things I mean why do why does a uh, a Netflix or a Hulu have to adhere to a half hour. Right. 
you know. I don't think they're going to. No. So yeah. I think that they'll they'll be driving the discussion too with their lobbyists. That's They've right. Got a lot more money than we do. That's right. Or with the alliance. Yeah. Uh, because remember, you know, what 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 Yana and I do in Albany is just part of you know what the big guys are doing from the studios, mm -hmm. and we'll see Amazon there shortly. We'll see Netflix. Yeah. There's, there's no question that broadband is going to destroy broadcast. Like, oh, yeah. That's just yeah. a thing. And to answer your earlier question about if things are getting faster, cheaper, and more efficient, yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that's also the beauty of, you know, when I went to film school, I was a big Francis Ford Coppola nut. And Hearts of Darkness is, I think, the greatest documentary ever made. And he said at the, my senior year, I'm watching that, and he says at the end of it in an interview, you know, that was the dawn of the digital prosumer cameras. This was back in 2000. And he said that, oh, but you know, when he made the documentary, it was the beginning of video cameras. So he said that, you know, I see the technology going places where one person with one camera can make a film. And then it'll truly be an art form. And at the time, that really pissed me off because I'm like about to graduate film school and all I want to work on is big movie sets and this right. guy wants yeah. to eliminate film crews. Uh -huh. right. But now, like, working on film crews for the last 15 years, I see that, that the only way you really have creative control of real art form is by eliminating the amount of opinions yeah. in the art yeah. well, Getting it down to one director's vision, one DP's vision, that can be done by this technology. But it means you shoot executives, not film crew. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're just about coming up to our time, but um, look, are, are there any other last questions from the audience? I mean, yeah. it's just a buzzkill question. It's so nice with Yana's philosophical, <laughs> futuristic. I want to say I, I followed the Post Alliance on Twitter while I was sitting here. <laughs> but about the CDLs and the LUTs, are those determined in camera tests for the DPs? Yes. And how the metadata trickled down. I was talking to an assistant editor here. That in the last symposium we had with the, the color space and the visual effects of it, it turned into like an angry mob. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, with a, a very complicated PowerPoint, but people want like this concrete thing. So I, how can I tell the assistant editor, like a, a producer said to me yesterday, don't worry about it. We're shooting at the end of July. Post won't be for a while. I said, so <laughs> <is> the camera. <laughs> Post production happened. Right. So that's, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> about, because that was the takeaway from the other thing, the CDL. Like, that was our, our, our great hope, that the CDL will solve all CDL problems. works. Yeah. It, I mean, so, and it can be stored yeah. as metadata but right I, on I the I think clip. the main thing numbers. is that there's no... <laughs> Men I think down, the down. main takeaway is there's no one transport for. I mean the CD the CDL will. Color decision list. The like CDL EDL with a C. It's a file that makes your log or raw footage look like what the DP wants it to look. Basically, like. the CDL was set up by the ASC. Um, it's called the ASC CDL. It's a set of nine values: lift, gamma, and gain over three color channels. So you've got lift, gamma, and gain per color channel for nine. Um, nine values and that will tell you if you've got the right LUT and scaling and you've worked out your pipeline um, that will, that's how you translate color down a pipeline but that won't tell you everything about the pipeline that, that'll just tell you what Ryan has done 
down to the pipeline. Yeah, you still you what we intended it to look like on my monitor. On you will, you will okay. still need a transport of metadata. You'll still need to agree on how metadata moves from the paperwork, which will always stubbornly be the yellow and white and green copy, <laughs> carbon copy. I mean, we've had digital um, products to capture that metadata and it's still carbon copy paper. So you need, you need to agree a way of that information getting put into the editorial system into an editorial database. I mean, basically, the editorial database, and I'm, I'm sorry to geek out right at the end, I promise we wouldn't do this. <laughs> basically, the editorial database should be the main repository of data moving into post-production. And dailies is, I think we get um, caught up in making pretty beautiful calibrated pictures, but dailies should actually be the intricate organization of all of the shot material to exist in post-production for weeks and weeks and weeks. Right. And that's the point in which you can correct any mistakes. And when people went, oh, don't worry about it this time, or unplug the, rip the power out of the camera, or, you know, dailies is where you correct all of that to go into post-production. But still, I mean, these, the, the, I mean, the I think... photographer's work is also judged by the dailies. That's so right. won't care what... Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, try and deliver. Yeah. Even though it won't look yeah. anything like that after the DI. <laughs> well, Especially at a TV show where they're cranking them out. They're like, look, this why is does the, this look wrong? <laughs> the digital dilemma that, you know, um, Panavision started writing about was that you know every year more and more data gets produced on set so now every lens every microphone every camera is producing little bits of like oh this is what i'm doing and this is my this is the f-stop and this is the aperture and this is the you know all of that is now a you turn on the fire hose and it's a flood of metadata down your pipeline so i think what we're all saying really is that now there's no one way. When there was 35 mil on a carbon copy and that went to the lab and then the lab kind of made your Avid editorial and, and there was a, anyone, no one was cutting on anything else. It was just Avid. Now um, there's a proliferation of cameras that all have different metadata. I mean, I, there, are pro, there are projects that I'm working on for the studios in order to try and standardize this. Um, there's a number of different proposals at Simpty for a metadata transport, which is like the sum total of all metadata. But how do you do that? How do you define every single piece of metadata because then someone ruins it you know someone comes up with another camera and then they've got more metadata and you've been through the simply pipeline and then it's all you know back to square one yeah. the dream is to have every piece of a camera report jesus be just metadata on the clip and yeah you know all all that information yeah totally but i, th I think i mean part of what we're, we've been talking about here is in, in pre-production needs to be identified who is taking responsibility for that and it's usually you know, it, I, I think one of the reasons why I want to set up the seminar is to kind of demonstrate it's not, it's not just like, oh, the editorial system will do it, or, oh, you know, the camera department is going to produce all this stuff. It, it is a collaboration, and humans need to talk to each other because relying on, like, the computer does it, never does it. You know, the computer never actually does it. You know, it's humans who do it. Um, on that note... I've got a couple of thanks. Um, can I thank um, Peter Cioni and uh, Jean Lane from LightEyen? Thanks to Jana and Jen from Post Alliance for letting me uh, do this. Uh, we've got a number of other seminars planned. One on um, remaking um, those lovely movie magic budgeting um, templates, which always seem to be 16 years out of date. Um, <laughs> we're, we're working on a seminar with the um, Producers Guild in order to retool an episodic TV and a feature film budgeting template, which we'll release with Movie Magic. Um, 
that'll be in about September. We're looking at an event um, to do with sound turnover for sound people. Um, and we're, we'll continually uh, collaborate with the VES on the visual effects seminars as well to try and stop the angry mobs. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, thank you everyone for coming. This has been the first one. I think uh, you've been a really great audience. And please uh, join us for a drink. Thanks, guys. Sure, thank you.